and welcome to the Carl Road Baptist Church podcast. Be sure to listen all the way through to the end of the episode for additional info on where to find more resources for past sermons, as well as how to watch us live each Sunday if you can't join us in person at our Columbus, Ohio location. Let's prepare to hear this week's sermon and listen for what God is saying to you and what he wants to do in your life. Pray with me, please. Father God, we thank you for a beautiful morning. We thank you for the opportunity to gather in this place to praise and honor and bless your name. And Lord, we just ask today that as we think about your word, we think about the Christmas season, that you would enrich our hearts and challenge us and encourage us, Lord, about anything that we need to be challenged about. And we pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Well, um, on one occasion when Franklin Roosevelt was president of the United States, he and a friend uh, talked late into the night at the White House. And uh, the president suggested that they walk out into the Rose Garden and take a look at the stars above them before retiring for the evening. And that was probably back in the days when there wasn't a whole lot of light pollution in Washington, D.C., and you could actually see the stars. So they, they went out, Roosevelt and this friend, and they looked up into the heavens for several minutes, just taking in the view of thousands upon thousands of stars. And then the president said, all right, I think we feel small enough now Let's go to bed. I think we feel small enough now. How easy it is to lose a sense of wonder. When, when was the last time that you felt awed beyond words? One of the results of experiencing Christmas every year ought to be the reminder of God's unfathomable bigness and our incredible smallness as human beings. You know, I'm quite certain that um, the shepherds near Bethlehem who witnessed uh, countless angels and heard them proclaim Jesus' birth on the night he was born, I, I'm sure they felt very small indeed because they experienced up close and personal God's immeasurable bigness on that first Christmas night. And what those shepherds heard that night is, is one of four poems uh, found in the first two chapters of the Gospel of Luke. And for this Advent season, we've, we're calling them the canticles of the Christ child. And at some point in time, all four were probably set to music, uh, maybe sung by the first Christians as part of their worship experience. And some years later, each song or poem was given a Latin name or title by the church. And, and today I, I want us to meditate on a very brief but important angelic proclamation called the Gloria in Excelsis, uh, Latin for glory in the highest. Two weeks ago, we considered the Magnificat, Latin for magnify, which was credited to Mary, 
Jesus's mother. Last week, we reflected on the Benedictus, Latin for blessed, which was attributed to Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist. And then next week, I want us to spend some time thinking about the last canticle. It's referred to as the nunc dimittis, a Latin phrase translated as, now thou let depart, which, come, which was attributed to Simeon, the old man that Mary and Joseph met in the temple in Jerusalem after Jesus's birth. So today, though, we're going to look at the glory and excelsis. And I'd like us to read it uh, in the Bible. It's found in Luke chapter uh, 2. And um, in order to get just a little bit more of the context in which this was said, I want us to begin reading at verse 8. And I'm going to read through verse 15. The, the glory and excelsis is verse 14, however, okay? So uh, Luke chapter 2, I'm beginning at verse 8. Follow along uh, in your Bible, whatever form you have it. And uh, let's, uh, uh, let's listen to this very familiar passage of Scripture uh, and hear it once again. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger, and suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, here's the glory in excelsis, glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. Now, I, I believe that that brief statement tells us something important about Christmas in at least two ways. First of all, Christmas reveals what God is like. Christmas reveals what God is like. If there is a quintessential Bible word, it's got to be the word glory. Glory. Glory to God in the highest. Now, what, what, what does that word glory mean? Well, as I understand it, the, the root concept uh, has to do with something that has weight or substance to it. And because of that, it, it, has, uh, uh, it gains importance or value. And, and when you think of, of glory and the sense of weight or substance, you could say that many of us are being sorely tempted to add some glory, some weight, some substance to our waistlines this Christmas season, yes? By eating too much good food. Cheryl and I went to the outreach Bible class event yesterday. We added some glory to our waistlines yesterday. That was a good time. But in a spiritual sense, glory is anything, it's everything that makes God impressive to you. 
uh, and whatever you consider to be wonderful about God, awe-inspiring about God, magnificent about him, is part and parcel of his glory. For example, we can experience his glory uh, in and through his attributes. God is omnipotent, all-powerful. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere uh, at the same time. Those are some of his attributes. He is eternal, meaning he never had a beginning, and he will never come to an end. Uh, God was never born. He will never die. We can experience God's glory in his character. Uh, he is faithful, truthful, loving, merciful. We can experience God's glory in his creative power. I mean, one, one reason I enjoy uh, those nature shows on TV is because they reveal yet another aspect of God's glory to me. I mean, th the natural world around us is full of supernatural beauty, complexity, that can only be attributed to a glorious creator, God. And we can also experience God's glory in, in all the wonderful things he's done. In other words, uh, the record of his accomplishments down through human history as well as the accomplishments in our own lives. So, so God's glory is anything and everything that makes God impressive to you. Well, when the angels proclaimed glory to God in the highest, what did they mean by in the highest? Well, the highest likely um, points to a location here, probably means heaven. So it means that uh, it's, it's talking about glory to God in, in the greatest place that exists, heaven itself. But the phrase in the highest can also refer to to a specific demonstration of God's glory. So the angels were also saying that by sending Jesus into the world, God permits you and me to observe the highest or the greatest demonstration of his glory that's out there. In other words, Jesus is the most significant demonstration of God's glory. The act of sending Jesus into the world more than any other reveals what God is like. The, the single most impressive thing about God is Jesus. And sending Jesus into this sin-stricken world reveals that, that love is at the core of God's great heart, and sending Jesus reveals that God is fundamentally merciful and gracious. He doesn't give us what we deserve. That's God's mercy, right? But instead, he gives us what we don't deserve, which is his grace. Sending Jesus to us reveals that God is today and forever for you and me. He's not against us. And this is what makes God's glory glorious. There, there is no more magnificent, marvelous, or impressive aspect of Almighty God than Jesus and, and the sending of Jesus into this world. Glory to God in the highest. How many of you have ever played the, um, the game Pictionary? You played that? It's a fun game. And um, 
You know, for those of you who haven't, this is the game where you draw a picture to illustrate a word or a concept, and everybody else tries to guess what you're illustrating. And there's, there's a story of a family who were gathered around the kitchen table, and they were playing a homemade version of Pictionary. And it was Christmas time, so uh, the family had created holiday phrases that everyone would then try to draw clues about to help everybody else guess the right answer. And nine-year-old Sarah picked the phrase that we're considering today, glory to God in the highest. Now, how would you illustrate that concept? Glory to God in the highest. I mean, uh, that would be pretty tough, yes? How would you draw that? Well, um, she kind of gave up on glory and in the highest and said she focused on the word God instead. And she drew a human form with, with uh, face and arms and, and legs. And then she added large hands with nail prints in the palms. She, she drew a picture of Jesus to convey the idea of God. Well, I don't know if that helped um, the other people playing the game come up with glory to God in the highest. But Sarah couldn't have been more accurate biblically. The single most impressive thing about God is Jesus. And Jesus reveals fully in the highest, greatest, most profound, and most complete way the glory of God. And at Christmas, you and I then get to see what God is like. But the glory in Excelsis tells us even more about what Christmas reveals. It reveals, secondly, that Christmas reveals what I have been given, what I have been given. And um, as the angels, uh, the second part of that statement was, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And uh, that compact little phrase actually tells us about two awesome things that you and I have been given. We should be reminded of this every Christmas. First of all, because Jesus came into the world, it's now clear that you are a grace receiver. You're a grace receiver. God's favor is God's grace. And grace is a gift that is given to people who in no way deserve it or its benefits. You know, the original audience for this angelic proclamation kind of underlines this truth. You might know that uh, the shepherds back in that day and time were considered lower class people. I mean, we've made them these kind of romantic figures now, but back in, in Jesus' day, uh, shepherds were, were kind of despised people. Uh, their jobs made it next to impossible to keep all the meticulous ceremonial laws of the Jewish people, so they were considered kind of dirty, unacceptable. They were, they were looked down upon. And, and no one would have thought that shepherds were uh, a likely group to receive a visit and a message from angels. But, you know, it's, it's not just like God. He has this wonderful tendency, God does, to extend grace, to extend his favor to the people and to the groups out there who seem least deserving, and even to work through folk that we would never select, that we would never think as being worthy of being used by God. 
So why does God's favor rest on you and on me today? Folks, it's not because you're a good person, because the fact is, you're just not that good. Neither am I. It's not because you're such a moral person, because the fact is, you're just not that moral. Neither am I. And it's not because you're so deserving, because the fact is that you deserve nothing from God except his eternal judgment. Same for me. There's an old Dennis the Menace cartoon that depicts Dennis and his little buddy Joey leaving the Wilson's house next door with some delicious cookies in hand. And Dennis turns to his pal Joey and he says, Mrs. Wilson gave you a cookie because she's nice, not because you're nice. (laughs) Dennis the Menace was a great theologian. God's grace, his favor, it's, it's just like that. It's not something you earn. It's not something you deserve. It's never something you're entitled to receive. God gives it to you because he's nice, not because you're nice. God gives you his grace because he's good, not because you're good. And you receive it, you get it by reaching out and claiming it by something the Bible calls faith. And you believe that God offers you his grace. You believe that you desperately need his grace personally. You believe that his grace is provided to you through his son Jesus when you put your faith in what Jesus did for you at the cross and the empty tomb. And then you reach out by faith and you accept that grace and you show your gratitude for his grace and favor by letting the Holy Spirit transform your attitudes and your actions as you go out and you live your life before him. You are now a grace receiver. And I want to ask you this morning, just in the privacy of your own heart, has that happened to you? Because it doesn't happen automatically. You have to reach out and receive and take the gift that God is offering. And so I want to encourage you, if you've never reached out personally to receive the grace of God that is offered through Jesus, that you do that even this morning before this service is over. Now, when you receive God's grace, you discover, you, you, you discover the second thing that, that you've been given. Because Jesus came into the world, you're also now a peace possessor. A peace possessor a grace receiver, a peace possessor. And and let me try to, I want to try to clear up a little bit of a misunderstanding right here. The King James Version of the Bible translates this verse in the following way. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it sounds like... um, the angels are promising some future time of of universal peace and brotherhood. And, And that's likely why every Christmas season you hear people make this kind of tear filled, sentimental, vague sort of connection between Christmas and world peace. You know, you you see it on 
TV shows and celebrities and they get all kind of misty and talk about Christmas and world peace. Where did that come from? It's as if Jesus' peace is supposed to somehow, in and of itself, get people and armies and governments to stop fighting each other magically. And, and if that was, my goodness, if that was the real intent behind what the angels said that first Christmas night, it's turned out to be a prophetic failure. I mean, the century that we're in now is still on the young side, but the previous century, the 20th century, was the bloodiest in human history. At least 86 million people died in 20th century wars. Another 120 million died from government-sponsored uh, genocide and mass murder. That was just the 20th century. And I don't see much reason to be more optimistic about world peace after living through the first 21 years of this century. But was that really what the angels were predicting? I don't think so. The fact of the matter is that uh, the Greek text of the Bible available to scholars way back in 1611, over 500 years now, when the King James Version was first published, was a good one, but not as good as what's available to scholars today. Many more Greek copies of the Bible have been discovered since 1611, which makes it possible to have a much more accurate translation of the Bible today. And one example of that is Luke 2.14. And without boring you with all the subtle differences found in Greek words and grammar, I suggest that more modern versions provide a more accurate translation of what, in fact, the angels said that first Christmas night. For example, the New International Version puts it like this, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. The New Living translation, translation renders it like this, and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. Well, now that's a very different idea than associating Jesus' uh, birth with universal world peace. The angels never promised peace to people everywhere just because Jesus was born. Instead, peace was being offered, will be offered to people who are objects of God's favor, objects of his saving grace. And peace is offered to people who now have a restored relationship with God, people with whom God is pleased. Now, the meaning of that word peace and what the angels said, I mean, it really points to salvation. In fact, uh, they could have easily just have said, glory to God in the highest on earth, salvation, peace, to those on whom his favor rests, or glory to God in the highest heaven and salvation, peace, on earth to those with whom God is pleased. It was usually kind of used just, just in a, uh, as a synonym there, salvation and peace. And it's always been helpful to me to, to think about God's peace in two uh, distinct but related ways. First, there is peace with God, peace with God. And the Bible makes it very clear every person is born with this sin nature, which means that we come into the world with a, with a kind of an inbred hostility toward God. 
and we, we don't automatically acknowledge God. We don't accept his rule or reign in our lives automatically. From birth, we inherit a complex but a broken relationship with God. And you may not even be aware of that antagonism um, that you and I have toward God consciously, but it's definitely there nonetheless. I mean, the evidence is that, that any and every act of sin is an expression of that hostility toward God that all of us have. But when you accept the fact of your own sinfulness and you ask for his forgiveness and you accept by faith Jesus' gracious payment of the debt of your sins through his death and his resurrection, that's when you begin to experience peace with God. Here's how the Bible puts it. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have what? Peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. So the first part of being a peace possessor is experiencing peace with God. But secondly, there's also the peace of God. And, and this is a deeper dimension of God's peace that he wants all of his children to experience each and every day. And there's a vital connection between peace with God and the peace of God. You see, on the one hand, you can only ever experience the peace of God when you have first experienced peace with God. You know, when, when a new person that I've only met tells me that he or she is filled with anxiety and worry and fear, I often want to try to find out if they're truly a follower of Jesus. I mean, if, if why is that? Well, because if, if Jesus isn't your Savior, if he's not your Lord, it's not really surprising why you would struggle with chronic anxiety, worry, and fear. I mean, your, your inner turmoil may be God's way of letting you know that there's something desperately wrong spiritually. And so the peace of God is contingent on you first experiencing peace with God. But on the other hand, just because you have peace with God doesn't automatically mean that you possess the peace of God all the time in every way, does it? No. I mean, I think all of us know you can be born again spiritually. You can have faith in Jesus. You can love him sincerely, but still be a slave to anxiety, to worry, to all kinds of fear. And God wants you to have his peace, the peace of God as a daily experience. One of my favorite two Bible verses tell me that it is God's will that I experience his peace day in and day out. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. Then you will experience God's peace, peace of God, which, ex which exceeds anything that we can understand. His peace, peace of God, will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And so being a peace possessor also means that I'm invited to experience the peace of God every day, all day long. And sometimes, you know, keeping, keeping a hold of the peace of God, boy, that can be elusive. So how, how can you and I do it? Well, I, I believe that 
part of the answer means doing some things on a regular, maybe even on a daily basis. Sometimes you've got to fight for the peace of God, don't you? Uh, so sometimes they're called spiritual disciplines. Like what? Well, like, like thanking God consciously every day that he loved you enough to make peace with you through Jesus. Just having an attitude of gratitude each and every day, confessing your sins to him every day, soaking yourself in his word and practicing prayer every day, worshiping him with people often and regularly like like you're doing just now, Uh, resisting anxiety and, and refusing to let it become your master, surrendering your future to the Lord, sharing your struggles with people who love God, uh, to also it means sometimes releasing your past with all of its hurts and its failures to the healing power of the Holy Spirit who now lives within you. Sometimes it involves quitting, uh, focusing on yourself and reaching out to someone else in the name of Jesus, counting your blessings. At the end of the day, I think keeping the peace of God means, means giving as much uh, of what you know about yourself to as much as you know about God at the moment. And when you live like that, day in and day out, you will become and you will stay a peace possessor. A peace possessor. During World War II, a woman by the name of Anne took her two small sons and moved in with her parents who lived in Texas. Her husband was in the Air Force, and he was in World War II. He was uh, fighting in the European theater. And uh, Anne and her parents, well, they just just did everything they could think of that Christmas too, just to make the Christmas season as memorable and as beautiful as it could possibly possibly be. So, of course, they went out and they they got a tree and they they put it up and they decorated it and they went out and they got all kinds of gifts for the boys and hid them away in anticipation of, of the big day. And just the beauty and... Um, the enjoyment of the season, you know, it, it was effective at least for a while to kind of keep at bay all of the anxiety and the worry and the fear that was associated with war. At least it, it did that for a while, but it didn't do it for long enough because one week before Christmas Day, Anne got the crushing news that her husband and the father of those two boys would not be home that Christmas or any Christmas in the future. He'd been killed in action in World War II. Well, when she got this news, Anne just went to her bedroom and closed the door and needed some time alone. And she was in there for a while. And uh, her mom and dad were were outside and and in the other part of the house and they talked with each other about what they should do. And um, they finally decided that all all these Christmas decorations were just, they they just seemed wrong now. They're 
the sorrow had replaced any sense of joy. And so they, they took the tree down and they took the ornaments down and they threw the tree out. And eventually, Anne came out of her bedroom. And she saw where the, the tree had, had been and was no longer there. And she turned to her mom and dad and she said, why, what, what, what's happened here? What, what, what did you do with the tree? And her mother said, well, your father and I um, took it down and, and threw it out. We just didn't think there was any reason to celebrate today with, or this year because, because of your brokenheartedness. And Anne said, no, let's bring the tree back in and let's decorate it because Christmas was made for such a time as this. And indeed it was, and indeed it still is. You see, if, if the deepest meaning of Christmas, brothers and sisters, is some just sort of sugary, shallow feeling, or if it's just, you know, kind of about world peace in some sort of magical way, then it's probably okay to just forget about it and not worry about it. But if Christmas is about, if it reveals what God is like, and if it reveals what God has given to us, then that changes everything. You know that we live in difficult days. We have this pandemic still going on with people continuing to die and then all the other disruption that all of us are experiencing because of it. All we need to do is to watch the news and pick up a newspaper and see the incredibly hateful and evil ways in which human beings are treating each other. Just a few days ago, we, we saw what natural disasters were doing to, to quite a few people in our country. And so there's, there's all these different reasons to just sort of say, why, why bother with Christmas? But I would say to you in the name of Jesus that Christmas was made for such a time as this because it reveals what God is like and it reveals what God has given to you and to me. So this Christmas, let's celebrate. Let's celebrate who God is and let's celebrate what he has given to us through his son, Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we want to take a moment to just thank you again that um, no matter how, how upset the world is, no matter, Lord, even how deep some of the hurts in our own lives may be, and I know, Lord, right in our midst today, there, some of us carry some really deep hurts at this time of year. That's all the more reason why we should celebrate Christmas to thank you that, that you didn't just leave us on our own, but that you intervened and you revealed to us clearly what you're like and you have revealed to us so much of what you have given to us. Because of you, we are grace receivers. Because of you, we are peace 
possessors. And no, not everything uh, in our lives changes. Not every deep hurt dissolves. Uh, the world doesn't change automatically, but that's the promise behind that is what you, what you have done for us and who you are. And so we celebrate that fact today. We celebrate that fact every Christmas season. We thank you for what you have done in and through your son, Jesus. Glory to God in the highest. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to the Carl Road Baptist Church podcast. We hope you found something that can be applied to your life today and into the future. You can always watch our past services or see them live on YouTube, Facebook, and our website at www. CarlRoadBaptist.org. That's Carl with a K A R L RoadBaptist.org. If you search YouTube or Facebook, look for Carl Road Baptist Church. And don't forget to subscribe or follow us if you are watching via a service that allows that so you can stay up to date and notified when another episode is ready for you to watch or listen to. Thanks again for sharing your time with us and putting in the effort to maintain your relationship with God. Have a fantastic week, and we look forward to growing alongside you in the future with the next episode of the KRBC Podcast.